Hello and welcome to the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. My name is J.R. Everhart from Restoration Ministries. I will be your host today as we navigate the labyrinth of life and we try to make some sense out of this ever-changing narrative that is our crazy world that we live in. Uh, today we're going to talk about fear and its impact in our relationships and uh, how it is a pivotal part of our dysfunction that we fight and how it has brought very negative things into our life and uh, how it has been at the foundation of things that get in the way of our freedom and restoration. So you do not want to miss a second of today's show. Stick around. I'll be back in 60 seconds. I want to talk to you guys for a second about my company, COP Audio. COP Audio is your one-stop source for mobile audio and lighting, as well as a host of other services. Uh, We can handle everything from large outdoor concerts to small club-type shows or even DJing your wedding or company picnic. Uh, We also work with local and regional government for public address events and summer community concert series-type stuff. We also do event planning and band booking, as well as audio install work at your local church or high school. You'll find tons of information online about us on both Instagram and Facebook. When you go to our Facebook page, make sure that you read our reviews from our clients. You can also find us uh, by just calling me or texting us, uh, 304-676-8811, 304-676-8811. You can also email me at um, jr.coplaudio at gmail.com. That's jr.coplaudio at gmail.com. CLP Audio has a long success record with dozens of bands, churches, and event venues all around the Mid-Atlantic. Again, find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching CLP Audio or call 304-676-8811. That's 304-676-8811. All right, and welcome back. Um, Today's podcast was kind of born out of a... Um, out of something that I've seen on ACA support page, I believe on Facebook, uh, ACA being adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. Um, and it was actually a quote from Haley Page McGee, who is a codependency recovery coach. So I want to make sure I give credit to where credit is due for these kind of statements or whatever. Um, yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure that I'm giving the proper credit here. Um, so the so the uh, the statement said our deepest fears in relationships reflect our earliest experiences of disempowerment and abandonment. Uh, let me read that again because that's kind of a mouthful. Our deepest fears in relationships reflect our earliest experiences of disempowerment and abandonment. And what that did was that started a whole train of thought with me about, um, you know, fear. And uh, I I typically do fear exercises with my sponsees and people that I counsel uh, and that sort of thing. Um, So I thought it would be a great time to just do this exercise with myself. Uh, It's been a while since I've done a fear exercise of my own where I just kind of ask myself some hard questions. And uh, I'm going to share my answers with you 
about this. So I am going to be very transparent today and and just kind of, you know, let you into my freakish little world of fear and maybe something in that can um can minister to you and maybe you can identify with some of the things I'm talking about and maybe that'll make sense with you. And then we're going to uh, you know, talk about what the Bible has to say about fear, and I'm going to give you my top five uh, fear not scriptures, my kind of go to stuff that uh, I like, um, you know, from the Word because I, you know, I want to make sure that I'm injecting, you know, Bible scripture into these podcasts as much as possible, and it's not just a self-help kind of thing where we're just talking about, you know, psychology and behavior modification and not actually giving uh, God's word its proper place, uh, because this is very much a Christian podcast. If you haven't figured that out, you haven't been paying attention. (laughs) So our deepest fears, that's that's kind of our title today, you know, Um, and the first question that I asked myself was in direct relationship to the message I seen on the ACA page, which was concerning relationships. So that's kind of where I started. I said, what am I most afraid of in a relationship? And this isn't necessarily uh, a relationship with just your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend. It could also be the relationships in your family, your parents, your kids, um, relationships with close inner circle friends, you know, stuff like that. Uh, so that's kind of the mindset I was coming from as I as I was answering this. Um, maybe leaning a little bit more toward the romantic relationship stuff because that's kind of the weird season that I'm in right now. Um, so, yeah, so the first thing was not being worthy of love. You know, for me, when I came out of my second divorce, uh, that was something that I really, really struggled with. I really walked away from that divorce feeling like um, I was just unlovable, you know, that I was so broken and I was such a jerk to live with and I was so dysfunctional that no one was ever really going to be able to put up with me long enough to, you know, love me long term. So I had to work through all that stuff through enormous amounts of counseling and that sort of thing. But not being worthy of love was at the top of the list there. Uh, Being abandoned, you know, um, sometimes in my case, really, it kind of just feels like emotional abandonment. Like, you know, you're with someone who just kind of checks out. You know, my parents were not necessarily emotionally available to themselves or to any of us kids, you know? Um, so, I mean, that there's a form of abandonment there and that's probably what I was feeling most as I was talking about abandonment. And that was that just feeling emotionally abandoned inside of a relationship. I think all of us have either felt or heard someone talk about the idea of, um, feeling alone inside of a relationship, inside of a marriage, you know, when you're in that place of loneliness, that's when you're really feeling abandoned emotionally. Um, the next one was being in the way, you know, I kind of grew up feeling like I was number 11 of 12 kids in my family. So by the time my parents got to my little brother and I, um, they were just completely burnt out on kids. And um, <clears throat> they kind of made us feel like we were in the way of their happiness in a lot of ways, you know. It, and that was not a that was not a comfortable place to be in. I was very aware of that through most of my childhood. I don't know if 
I don't know if my little brother felt that way or not, but that's just because I know it, 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 you know, dysfunction affects people different ways, but that's how it did me. Yeah, I just felt like I was kind of in the way of their happiness. So I am like totally not wanting to be in someone's way of happiness, you know, inside of a, a friendship or a romantic relationship. If I feel like for a second that I am in the way of your happiness or in the way of you finding contentment in life, you know, I just want to get out of the way. You know, I just want to run and, and give you the freedom to find what it is you're looking for. Um, the next one is not being important or a priority to my, to my girlfriend or to my spouse um, or to my family member. I think we all need to be validated, and that kind of goes along with the next one, which is being dismissed. I was constantly dismissed as a kid. Uh, my dad's famous line was, children should be seen and not heard. So we never really had any touchy-feely conversations. We were really digging into the depths of our relationships. And, you know, as father and son, my dad, you know, he was well into his retirement years before we ever started having any any relations or any kind of conversation that was even remotely close to that, where he was sharing some of his fears and some of his um, you know, dysfunction with me. So I, you know, I grew up kind of feeling like I was in the way and dismissed and shoved into the corner and, you know, they're just kind of waiting for me to grow up and get out of the way. Um, and then the other thing was, and this is a direct childhood, you know, thing here, being made to feel stupid and then punished for not knowing something. Uh, I really have very little tolerance for people who are, um, you know, dismissive and, you know, condescending, you know, because I think that is, those are the rudest things. And I even, I even fight it in my own life because the next part of this is how did these fears manifest in me as an adult? Um, and some of this stuff that I hate so much, I fight in my own personality because that's dysfunctional parents raise dysfunctional kids, you know, and that's kind of how it comes out in my life, even though I don't want it to, you know, but being made, to feel stupid about something I just genuinely was ignorant about that I just didn't know. I didn't have the teaching or the training to know whatever the task is before me. My dad was horrible with that because, you know, he was kind of a nothing ever made him happy sort of guy. Uh, very task driven, you know, very controlling and very detail oriented in a lot of the things that he did. And if you couldn't read his mind and do things the way he wanted you to do them, then he would just make you feel stupid. And then, you know, passively punish you with a silent treatment or with just a dismissal or whatever for not knowing that, you know, and it, it, it in me, it created a whole you know, level of just having to be super detailed so I didn't piss off my dad, you know, uh, even as a, you know, early teen having to try to work through the nuts and bolts of that. Um, so that leads us right to the next part was how did, how did these fears manifest in me as an adult? Uh, I became highly critical of my kids and peers, you know, um, you know, I sometimes belittle people. I sometimes be that guy I was just talking about who is condescending. You know, I mean, I will sometimes mask that in sarcasm, but there's a part of me that's just being a jerk, <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to not be that. And I think I'm better at that now than I've ever been. But I mean, I'm just being real with you guys. I mean, it's just something that I struggle with, you know, um, 
I am definitely a control freak. You know, that is something else that these, you know, fears have brought up in me because if I feel like I can control the situation, then I feel like I can damage control any tributary of trouble that would come from that. And that's how, you know, because the next thing is, is it, it made me a perfectionist who is never satisfied. As a perfectionist, I'm always thinking 38 chess moves ahead, trying to solve problems that haven't even happened yet. You're trying to head them off at the pass, you know, three moves before they even come to the surface. Um, nothing is ever good enough for me. You know, that's something I really, really struggle with, you know. Um, and that all comes back to that fear of being dismissed and that fear of being, you know, made to feel like I'm stupid, you know. Uh, so I have to be on top of everything so that I'm not perceived as stupid. I have since come to great um, a great amount of peace and um, restoration in my brokenness, and I don't stress about that stuff near as much as I used to, especially like I did in my 20s, you know. Um, but that perfectionist is still there. I'm still very obsessive about stupid little things that doesn't don't really matter, but I, I can at least acknowledge those things now. Um, anger issues. Uh, especially when I feel like I'm not being heard, you know, um, and I'd speak about this anger thing again later in the next section, but fear is at the foundation of anger. You know, it really is the way we treat people who are dealing with anger issues. Usually the first thing we ask them is what are they afraid of? Because, you know, when someone is afraid of their child getting hurt or their child being torn away from them in some way, especially through like the, the scenario of divorce or something like that, that will give birth to huge amounts of anger because you're afraid that someone's going to come in there and take over the daddy or the mommy role with that kid. You're afraid that your kid's going to genuinely be in danger, you know, um, and out of that fear will come enormous amounts of anger, even in some cases turn to violent anger. You know, where they're willing to kind of just go to blows for those things. Uh, I've seen people react that way just by being afraid of looking stupid or looking like they're weak or looking like they're insecure or looking like any sign of weakness. They fear that so much. They are so afraid someone's going to see their brokenness and someone's going to see that they don't have everything figured out and they protect that with everything that they have. And they're so afraid that if someone sees that, then they're going to be dismissed and abandoned that that sparks all kinds of anger. When they don't know how to process those emotions and process those feelings, it turns into anger. Being someone who had to work through enormous amounts of anger management in my 20s, um, you know, I totally get that 100%. Even into my 30s, you know, I struggled with some of that stuff. It tries to rear its ugly head from time to time, even now, you know, but I just don't give it precedence in my life like I used to. And I've learned that not everything requires a reaction. And I also learned that, you know, don't get mad over stuff that hasn't happened yet. You know, I mean, that is like super, super huge, you know, because I was the guy that would be already be angry over a, a scenario that has not even played out yet and has a pretty good chance that it's never going to play out that way. But in my distorted thinking and in my emotional, you know, mind, not my rational mind, but my emotional mind, you know, I am sitting here you know, playing out the worst case scenario, which ignites fear that someone I love is going to get hurt or I'm going to be seen in some kind of negative light. And then that sparks anger. 
Fear is at the, the foundation of all that. Um, for people who are, are fearful and, and struggle with fear, suffering is a way of life. Uh, I like to think fear doesn't control me as much as it did as a young adult, but I know it is still a key part of my dysfunction. It's really a key part in everyone's dysfunction. Fear and pride are two gigantic, you know, compulsive traits that fuel a whole bunch of junk in our life. Um, I regularly make people think less of me by making statements about how I don't have a high view of myself. Fear will erode your self-conscious or your self-confidence. It will absolutely erode and destroy your self-confidence. And then before you know it, you're making statements that are convincing the people around you or at least communicating to the people around you that you're less than someone worthy of love and that you don't have a very high view of yourself. Now, I'm not saying become some puffed up prideful jerk, but we need to love ourselves and we need to give ourselves credit when we get things right and give ourselves a break when we screw up because everybody makes mistakes. So let me read that again. I regularly make people think less of me by making statements about how I don't have a high view of myself. Those statements look like, uh, well, you, you wouldn't really want me to go on vacation with you because I know I'm hard to be around or whatever. You know, that communicates to that person that you think that you're a horrible person and you're someone no one wants to be around and that you're, you're miserable and that makes them not want to be around you <laughs> because who wants to be around someone who's miserable? You know, it just communicates all the wrong stuff when we really need to learn how to be confident, you know, especially in our relationship with Christ, because it's through what Christ has done on the cross and, the, and God's grace that we walk in, that we can stand upright and, and stand proud, you know, with godly righteousness and, you know, uh, efforts toward holiness in our life um, and not have to live in a state of defeat. No one wants to be on the losing team. You know, myself included, you know, so, and there's a big difference between confidence and arrogance. You know, I'm not talking about arrogance. You know, I'm not talking about puffed up, thinking more of yourself than what you really are. No, I'm talking about just understanding and having full revelation that who you are, you know, being broken, being flawed, being someone who makes mistakes is okay. It's okay to not be okay. Because none of us are truly okay all the time. You know, we just seen the whole uh, uh, Simone Biles thing go down, where she had to make a tough decision that, you know what, I'm not going to go out here and risk injury because I'm struggling with anxiety and panic. You know, she said she was shaking, and you could see in the last few routines that she did in her gymnastics uh, routine that, you know, she was pulling punches there. You know, she was not comfortable. She was not in the zone, you know, and I think she made the right decision and I support her a hundred percent for that, you know, and a lot of people want to try to argue, well, that's just the pressure of the game. And if you can't take the heat, why don't go in the kitchen and blah, blah, blah. And this, that, and you know what, dude, y'all need to take all that junk someplace else because there's something in your life you're afraid of too. There's some, there's going to be a time in your life that, you know, you're not going to be able to live up to everyone's expectations as as well. And it's okay to not be okay. So don't stand on your high horse or sit on your high horse and judge her for making a tough decision. She's worked her whole life for this. You think that was an easy decision to make? 
You think that, you know, when she left the United States to go to Japan to compete in the Olympics, she was going to go there just to quit halfway through? That was not part of her plan. You know, she had to make a, a healthy decision for herself. And it was the right decision. It really was. And the team is doing great. You know, she could have, you know, cost the team medals and could have cost the team, you know, other girls who've worked their tail off too to be there. You know, so fear played a huge role in all that. We've seen that play out. What we're talking about right here today, we've seen play out right in front of us. You know, with this beautiful young girl who's worked her whole life to be the best gymnast in the world, and she's been the best gymnast in the world. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. But you know what? Everyone has a breaking point. And we're not robots. We're not soulless, emotionless robots who can just flip a switch and do what needs to be done all the time without any emotional connection. So kudos to her. And I'm giving you all that Simone Biles stuff for free. (laughs) So the next section is, what am I afraid of right now? And man, this, this really hits some uncomfortable nerves and it's hard for me to talk about some of this stuff, you know, but in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to pull some stuff back under the, you know, the umbrella of discretion and stuff like that, because I'm speaking of other people in my life and in my family that I'm not comfortable with sharing over the podcast. So I'll hit the stuff that is safe. Um, I have a fear of being alone forever. I think all of us, have a fear of being alone to some degree or another. Even those of us who have been habitually single for long periods of time and are totally comfortable with our singleness and don't feel the need to, you know, be in a romantic relationship with with someone forever. Uh, I'm not necessarily that person. I'm just saying I know that there are people out there who are very much comfortable with not being in a romantic relationship, but there's still a fear of being alone, you know, not having friends and family there with you, you know, not having someone there to love you. We all are designed and created to be loved. We are created to receive love and we are created to give love. And when you take that out of the equation, it's an ugly, ugly world, you know, um, financial failure. And in today's age, Man, I know that is a huge, huge thing that a lot of us are carrying is just absolute financial ruin, especially with the pandemic and how that has affected, you know, economics in the country. Um, You know, I work in the music business and I mean, I lost $70,000 in 2020. Yeah, that was even after getting all the help from the government and, you know, doing what little bit of work I could do. You know, it was still a huge loss of a year. Scary, man. Very, very scary. I was fearful. I was afraid. And God was faithful and God met my needs and I was able to survive that and weather the storm. But, you know, now we have other things popping up and a new variant of COVID, you know, 19 and, and really don't know what the future holds. And that's fearful. You know, I'm afraid of that kind of stuff. And I'm also afraid of, you know, um, I'm afraid of making stupid mistakes of my own. You know, I think the next thing was um, I was afraid of just being a loser again, like I was in my 30s, unable to pay my bills and such. I went through two divorces in my 30s, my first divorce at 30 years old and my second divorce at 38 years old. And those were tough years. You know, my first divorce absolutely crushed me. Um, 
know, there were kids involved, there was real estate involved, there was all kind. It was just a, a huge dynamic of dysfunction that had to be, you know, dealt with and weathered and walked through, and you know we didn't do that great with it. And then I got mad at God for a while, you know, during those years and made a lot of stupid mistakes because of that. And I struggled financially and I struggled emotionally. I, I struggled spiritually and I haven't forgotten that. And I went through a really, really hard time during my thirties and uh, it taught me a lot of things. And I mean, I, I wouldn't trade it for the lessons that I've learned because of it, but it was very uncomfortable going through that. So that is a healthy fear. And it motivates me to get out of bed and do the things that I need to do to be able to make a living and pay bills and, and you know, invest in myself in my own mental health and in my own emotional health by staying plugged into a support system and stuff like that and everything, um, and staying plugged into ministry, you know, that that's all part of it. You know, it's not just a financial thing. You know, I just felt like I was, it was like everything that I touched from the time I was 30 to the time I was about 40 just seemed like, you know, turned to crap every bit of it. You know, it just seemed like I, no matter how hard I worked, no matter how many hours I put in, no matter what I did, I couldn't seem to get ahead financially. I couldn't seem to get, you know, peace over things spiritually and, and emotionally. And I mean, I just went through a really tough time and I'm, I'm afraid of having to repeat that. You know, now I'm just coming out of my third divorce and I'm just as crushed as I was in my first divorce, you know, and totally emotionally, you know, bankrupt at the moment and trying to, you know, work through all the nuts and bolts of that and trying to, you know, I mean, I have closure on all that stuff and I'm officially divorced and all that sort of thing. And, you know, and the idea of having to open up and let someone else into my life is scary. And there's all kinds of fear wrapped up in that. If you've ever been through a divorce, you know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you're just someone who's been single for many, many years and you've decided that you're going to start dating again. It's hard to open yourself up. You know, I'm very content being single. I'm very content, you know, on my own. You know, I have a wonderful group of friends around me that love me, family, kids, all that kind of stuff. I'm very secure, you know, financially and all that sort of stuff and everything. So, I mean, I'm not stressing on any of those fronts, but, you know, the thought and the idea of having to enter the dating world again is just frightening, you know. Um but, you know, we deal with fear by putting one foot in front of the other and just keep marching on, you know, is what we do. You know, we, we don't let it control us. We don't let it uh, rob us of freedom any more than we have to. And that leads us to the final section here, which is how has fear robbed me of freedom? Uh, the first thing is it limits my vision of what I'm capable of doing. You know, fear will tell you you can't do this. And if you listen to that, you won't do this. And you'll miss out on every opportunity that you don't take. You lose 100% of the time on every chance you don't take. And fear is what's behind that mentality. It causes me to overreact to things that don't deserve such a high level of emotional investment. Let me say that again. It causes me to overreact to things that don't deserve such a high level of emotional investment. Not everything requires a reaction, you know, and being afraid of whatever the situation is, being afraid of being seen as weak or being seen as stupid or, you know, uneducated or weak or whatever, you know, all that stuff, man, 
just because one person may perceive you that way doesn't mean that's how all your friends see you. And that one person is not going to convince all your friends that that's who you are when they're friends that have been around you for decades. You know, I mean, it is what it is. The sooner you get, the sooner you get comfortable with your brokenness and understand everyone's broken in one way or another, the sooner you can let go of all that chaos of, you know, overreacting, you know, with things that just don't deserve that level of emotional investment. Uh, causes me to worry and fight anxiety. Nothing ignites my anxiety. Nothing ignites that panic button or hits that panic button more than fear. Um, always being afraid that I miss something very important. Um, maybe missed an important detail of whatever it is that I'm trying to keep under control because fear has turned me into this OCD, you know, uh, perfectionist that has to control every part of life and if I don't you know forecast every problem that's coming down the the pike then no one's going to love me and everyone's going to think that I'm stupid and can't do things and that you know that's a trap you know it just is I'm to a point now to where it's like I do the best I can do in life and I give it everything I got and it most of the time that's pretty successful it looks pretty good you know but when I miss it hey I miss it you know what? I'm not perfect. Sometimes I miss it. Sometimes I miss it big time. Sometimes I make huge mistakes, but I'm never the person. And this is what I've learned through the last nine years of recovery is I have become a person who never tries to justify my mistakes. Like, Hey, I screwed up. You know, I just missed the mark. I dropped the ball, you know, put whatever, you know, little bumper sticker catchphrase on it you want. But you know, I fell short. And I'm sorry for that, and I'll do, you know, do better next time. I'll try harder next time to not fall short. And that's the best we can do as human beings. We can't go back and change the mistake we made. You can't, you know, rewind the clock and go back and fix it. All you can do is own it. You own it and you move forward. And that may tarnish some part of your reputation. You know, there are things, I just had a conversation with a very close friend of mine the other night when we were talking about the amends process and I was bringing up something that I had to make an amends with, with someone who was a friend of mine, and I did something to hurt them really bad, and it was very embarrassing, and it was very hard for me to go to them and to confess that. Um, and I don't think they felt warm and fuzzy about me because I was man enough to go to them and confess that. You know, that's just the thing about the amends process, people get screwed up, is they think that, you know, the person is going to see how uh, how admirable they are because they're being a a true person of integrity and admitting that they did something wrong or they did something to hurt them. Well, no, you've done something to hurt them, and you just told them that. They just found that out two seconds ago. Don't get all bent out of shape if they react in a negative way or they react as if they've been hurt because you just hurt them. It's not rocket science, guys. You know, I mean, it. that's just cause and effect. You know, so I can't take back what I did to this brother. I hate it with everything in me. Don't get me wrong. I hate it with everything in me. I wish I could go back and change the things that I did to hurt this brother, but I can't. So all I can do is own it. And that's what I was expressing to my buddy was I, I can't fix it. All I can do is own it, apologize and say, hey, look, I'm sorry. If you want to forgive me, hey, that's great. That's awesome. If you don't want to forgive me, I understand. Because we don't make amends 
to just resolve every issue that we've ever had and everybody's going to feel warm and fuzzy and forgive us and you know everyone you know rides off into the sunset and there's a happy ending it doesn't most of the time it doesn't work out that way you know most of the time it's ugly and it's messy and someone's mad at you for a long time maybe decades but you don't go through the amends process for them you do it for you because if you're holding that secret and you're holding that junk back from them you're the one that's imprisoned because you're imprisoned by the guilt and the shame that is attached to the things that you did that you knew was wrong. And I'm going to leave it at that because the amends thing is a whole nother pro, uh, podcast. Uh, it ignites huge, and, you know, we're still talking about how fear has robbed me of freedom. It ignites huge amounts of control reactions, feeling I have to micromanage everything. That kind of piggybacks on what I was just saying about uh, being a control freak and a perfectionist. Uh, excuse me, it uh, gives me a false sense of awareness. Fear heightens my awareness because I'm so afraid something wrong is going to happen. I'm hypersensitive to everything around me. You know, trying to, you know, look at everyone's motives and try to read between the lines and try to do all this 007 conspiracy way of thinking trying to figure out all the junk that's coming my way. And the reality of that is, is no matter how hard you do that, you can't figure all that out. You might figure out something here or there, but you're going to waste a whole lot more energy than what it would take to just react in a healthy way to whatever comes your way. And trust God, you know, trust God that he's going to be there with you and protect you as you go through that process. So fear gives me a, a false sense of awareness because I'm really not as aware of things as what I think I am. And really all this doing is giving birth to another personality dysfunction that I'm going to have to unravel later, uh, which is obsessiveness. Uh, the other thing it robs me of is relaxation. You, know, you can't relax when you're worried about everything. Uh, and that piggybacks on the faith thing because it robs me of faith. I can't have faith if I'm afraid of failure and have to control everything myself. It's like, you can't walk in faith if you have all, all the answers. Like, I can't help you if you think you have all your own answers. Because you're convinced that you have all your own answers, whether they're right or wrong or whatever. You're not, you don't want help from anybody else because you're so lost in pride, you think you have all your own answers. You don't need to hear from anyone else. And some people feel like if they have to submit to someone else's direction to show them some things in life, they see that as a form of weakness and they run from that. I've had a lot of people walk out of recovery meetings because they're just uncomfortable with that process right there. I have sat in open share rooms where, which kind of looks like group therapy to the normal world, but in Celebrate Recovery, we call it open share. I've sat across the room from guys who have sat there and looked me in the eye and direct rebellion of what I'm trying to tell them and say, this isn't my first rodeo and I, I kind of know what's going on with me. I don't really need your help. And then I always respond with, then why are you even here? Then why'd you come to the meeting? If you got it all figured out, why are you here? What do you need me for? You know, because there's other guys here that do need, you know, what God is trying to do here. And he doesn't always work through me. There's other guys in the group he works to as well. But you know, the long and short of it is, is if you have all your own answers, how are you walking in faith? You're not. And let me just let you in on a little secret. If you think you have all your own answers, you're lost because you don't have all your own answers any more than I have all my own answers. You know, I am phenomenal at helping other people and 
horrible. Maybe I'm not going to say horrible. Maybe I'm just average at trying to help myself. That's kind of the way it goes. You can't counsel yourself. You know, you can, you know, put boundaries in your life and you can practice all the things that you've learned you know, through all your self-help, through all your recovery groups, through all your discipleship groups, through the Bible, you know, all that stuff. You can apply all those things to your life, but you still need the reflections of other godly people around you to kind of gauge where you are in life. When people are reflecting positive things into your life, then you tend to feel like you're okay. When people are reflecting negative things into your life and telling you like, hey, dude, you kind of look like you're gaining some weight. You know, maybe you need to hit the gym and get serious about your health because, you know, you're pushing 50 and they love me enough to say, hey, I don't want you to die at 55. You know, I want you to stay on the, the, the right track of, of being healthy. I had three different people tell me just in the last week or so that, that I'm aging gracefully and that I, I look healthy. And that really ministered to me. That really made me feel good because I have serious self-image issues. And, you know, I've been trying to lose weight for the last year and have lost quite a bit of weight, but still struggle with that and still struggle with, you know, eating correctly, especially in the summertime with ice cream. Ice cream in the summertime, it's just the devil. Let me just tell you that. So there comes fear that I'm going to fail and I'm going to just be some fat slob that's going to be on, this is my 600-pound life on TLC and, you know, I'm never going to, you know, live past 55. And the enemy rushes right in to tell me all those lies. You know, I'm going to be on disability and diabetic and going to lose my legs. And, you know, I'm going to take it to the 19th degree of how bad it could possibly be. And that goes right back to what we were just saying about getting upset and getting full of anxiety about things that haven't happened. The reality of all that is I'm going to continue to work on my health. I'm going to continue to lose weight. I'm going to continue to be on the roller coaster that is my dieting efforts. But I'm not going to give up. You know, I'm never going to allow myself to get to those places that the enemy's trying to tell me I'm going to get to because I'm going to keep working on me. It's an ongoing process. So that's how you extinguish those, you know, bouts of fear and anxiety that try to communicate to you lies. They're all lies. There's no truth in any of that stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm kind of fighting the allergy thing again, so work with me here, guys. Um... The last one uh, ignites tornadoes of anger. Uh, fear is the foundation of anger. We talked about that at great length in the uh, second part. So let me just move right into these Bible verses. A um, couple things that you need to know about uh, fear from the Bible's perspective. The phrase fear not is in the Bible 365 times. That means God has given us a fear not scripture for every day of the year. Um, one of my absolute favorite fear scriptures, and I'm going to get into the, the top, or I'm going to get into five scriptures to talk about, you know, fear or not, but this is my number one favorite, and it's uh, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. In my deepest, darkest seasons of panic attacks and just insane anxiety attacks and that kind of stuff. And the doctors were jacking with medication six ways a Sunday, trying to get me straightened out and all that kind of stuff, which I'm happy and proud to test testify that, 
I'm not on any anxiety medicine now that God has healed me in that in that sense and has really ministered to me that way uh, through an enormous amount of counseling and an enormous amount of hard work and recovery. Um, I've been able to get free of medication and all that kind of stuff and live in victory over anxiety and panic. But during those years, during those times, those seasons of panic and anxiety, I used to quote the scripture. I would literally lay in bed, pray in the spirit. And I would quote the scripture over and over and over and over. That God has not given me the spirit of fear, of nothing to be afraid of, but of power, power over this fear, and of love, to have the ability to both give and receive love, and of a sound mind. That I'm not going crazy. Because the enemy was trying to convince me that I was losing my mind, and I wasn't. He can't take your mind. That's not how this works. He can't read your mind. He can't take your mind. He can't take anything from you that you don't willfully hand over to him. Let me just kick the apple cart over there. Let me say it again. Satan cannot rob you of anything that you don't give him. That's why the Bible calls him such a master manipulator and and the craftiest being that was ever created is because what he does is he tricks you into handing over all your free will gifts to him. It's the same thing he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. He convinced them that, you know, they needed to eat the fruit so they could be like God, that they didn't need to trust God to, you know, tell them what is right and wrong, that they could, you know, eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil and be able to choose good and evil on their own. So he didn't rob them of their freedom. He convinced them to hand over their freedom to him. It's the same way with our mental health. He can't take our mind. I quoted this scripture over and over and over and prayed for God to help me. And he sent people into my life. He sent counselors into my life. He sent doctors into my life that helped me unravel a lot of the dysfunction that was causing my anxiety. So top five fear not scriptures. Number one. Uh, this is from Psalms 46. I think all these are from Psalms. The Psalms is just full of like really cool stuff. Psalms 46, 1 through 3. Uh, God is our refuge and strength, a very pleasant help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. So even if all those things are happening, which really sounds like the apocalypse, (laughs) uh, we don't have to be afraid because God is our refuge and our strength. Let me repeat that. God is our refuge and our strength. Do you feel like you don't have the strength that it's going to take to get through today? That you've just been beat down way too much and you just don't have enough emotional dexterity left to you know deal with today's challenges but that's where we got to lean into god and let him be our refuge and let him be our strength number two and this is psalms 34 verses four through five i sought the lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears let me say that again and delivered me from all my fears They took him and um, were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. So when you're leaning into the Lord and you're 
you know, crying out to the Lord and he delivers you from all your fears, you know, you tend to be someone who looks radiant and alive and healthy and their faces are not ashamed. So you, you know, we've all seen people who are depressed and who are beat down by life. They don't look like happy people. It's written all over their body language. That's what this is saying. Even their faces are not ashamed. That means they're proud in the righteousness that God has poured into their life, in our case, through Christ Jesus. Number three, uh, this is Psalms 23, 4 through 6. Psalms 23 is like the, you know, the superpower of Psalms, man. I mean, this and Psalms 91 are the two big ones if you're dealing with fear, anxiety, and worry, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Yea, did I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Guys, when when the Bible talks about God's rod and staff, those are weapons of his warfare. That means he is warring on your behalf. And you understanding that is where you find comfort. So again, it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort you because you know he's fighting for your cause. You prepare a table for me at the in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. The first time I read this, I can, al- I can almost tell you where I was at the first time I read this. It was back in the mid-90s when I was first, you know, digging in deep with God. And I read this whole thing like, God's going to prepare a place for me at the table of my enemies? I mean, that's like the ultimate, like in-your-face kind of move. And God's like, yeah, dude, I ain't playing. You know, God is not a wimp. You know, don't don't mistake his kindness for weakness because that's not at all, you know, how that is how that's coming across in the Bible. He says that he's gonna establish you in such a way that he will prepare a place for you at the table of your enemies. All your haters that's trying to jack you up, he's gonna he's gonna establish you right in front of them and bless your socks off right in front of them. And there's nothing they're gonna be able to do about it. Uh, surely goodness and mercy shall, shall shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All that stuff's got to work together. You know, we got to give ourselves to God. We, we don't just live how we want to live and expect God to come down here and just start pouring out blessings on us and heal us and all that stuff and everything. We, we have to be seeking holiness. The conditions of our heart have to be continually recreated. You know, that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, deny yourself take up your cross and follow me. If you truly want to be a follower of of my gospel, that is what is required. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Salvation is free. All you have to do is put your faith in Christ. Confess that he's the son of God. He died for your sins and raised three days later from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the father. Bam, you're saved going to heaven. But if you want victory, and you want to walk in victory now in this world, then it requires you denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. And that means doing what he did, going throughout the land, doing good. Uh, Number four is Psalms 27, 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? It's asking, like, God's got my back, dude. Who should I be afraid of? The Lord is the strength of my life. Here again, it's telling us God is our strength. You know, when we're trying to live life under our own strength, what happens? We get exhausted. You know, we get beat down by life. We feel like we can't do this. I got news for you. You can't. That's why we need Jesus. 
That's why Christ died on a cross, so we could walk in the Lord's strength. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I of whom shall I be afraid? Here it's asking you again, like who should I be afraid of? God has got my back. Greater is he that's in me than he is in the world. When the wicked came against me to eat my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, an army now, it's saying, may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. So you know, he's saying here, this is David you know, talking, and David knew something, you know, a thing or two about warfare. You know, he said, even though my enemies got me outnumbered, even though my haters are jacking me up on Facebook, even though everyone is trying to just bust my groove, I'm not going to let it jack with me. I'm not going to let it, you know, screw my groove. I'm not going to let it, you know, mess with my steps. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to trust God. I'm not going to react to all this junk because it doesn't require reaction. When I get in those situations, I hand every bit of it to Jesus. I hand every bit of it to God. Here, Lord, you take it. Because I can't deal with this. I don't know how to sort through all this, so you need to do this. And then finally, number five, this is from Psalms 91, uh, verses 4 through 8. I cannot recommend reading Psalms 91 on a daily basis enough, especially in today's age, because it is the psalm of protection, God's protection into your life. Here's just a little piece of it, verses 4 through 8. Um, he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness. That includes pandemics. Nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. It was a well-documented fact that in ancient times, noon was usually when they started warring. You know, everyone had all morning to get rested up to go out to the battlefield, and at noon is when the war is going to start. That's when the battle is going to start today. So it says, neither the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but I shall not come. But it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes. Pay attention to this, guys. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. That means you will see God's judgment against the wicked right in front of you, but it will not affect your life. I'll give you a great example of that, and that is the ten plagues of Egypt in the Old Testament when Moses was, we've all seen the movie, the Ten Commandments, and how Moses went before you know Pharaoh and said, let my people you know go and set my people free. And Pharaoh <laughs> said, no. I'm not doing any of that. And God had to show Pharaoh who really was boss. And he, you know, judged Egypt and judged Pharaoh with 10 horrible plagues. Well, God's people were living right there in the city when all that stuff was happening. They seen the effects of God's judgment on the wicked, but it did not affect them. In fact, when the last plague came down, which was the death of the firstborn son of every family, God sent his prophet to his people and said, put the blood over the doorpost so that the angel of death will pass over your house. That blood over the doorpost is a symbol of Christ's blood that was shed on the cross. It was a foreshadowing of the cross that was going to happen just a few hundred years later. So that's, uh, 
that's that's a power packed chapter, guys. Psalms ninety one. Make sure you get into that and uh, you read that. Make that a part of your regular uh, daily devotion. And uh, I promise you, you will thank me for that later. Uh, appreciate you listening. Please, um, you know, share the podcast. Like it, subscribe it. I know that the the outro spot here kind of covers some of that stuff, but I'm going to repeat it in a more personal manner here. It's it's crucial that you leave reviews of this podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts and Google and or wherever you listen to podcasts at. Most of those apps give you the option, not all of them, but most of them give you the option to leave a review. What that does is communicate to other people that are kind of searching around, you know, the podcasts, uh, what to expect you know, and what this podcast has done for other people. If it's blessed you, share it. There's a share feature in all those apps so that you can share this. You can text this podcast to your friends. You can share it on social media, Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. You can copy the link and send it to someone in an email. If there's someone you think who could really use this message today about not letting fear control their life, make sure that you give them the opportunity to hear it by sharing this podcast. Thanks, guys. I'll see you next time. If you have found value in this podcast or if it has blessed you in any way, can I ask a couple things from you real quick? Please rate and review this podcast in whatever format you listen to it on, especially if you use Google or Apple Podcasting app. Also, could I ask you to please donate to this ministry? Uh, We need your financial support. We are not sponsored by any church or religious denomination, nor do we have any corporate sponsors. Uh, We are totally independent and dependent on our listeners to make this ministry resource possible. Please consider giving to this ministry. I'll be sure to post links and information on how to give in the description of this podcast. And finally, and most importantly, we need your prayers for guidance and protection from the people who look to silence voices like ours. Pray for God's favor in the eyes of our enemies and grace in our hearts toward them. Pray that God uses this podcast to speak into the lives of those struggling with addiction and ministers to the hearts of the hurting. We need your prayers covering this ministry so we can be effective ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, thanks for listening to this podcast. My prayer is that it blessed you and brought you a fresh understanding of our lives in this world and our need for unity in Christ. A brush fire of revival in Jesus Christ is our only hope for satisfaction and true joy as we walk out the human experience that is our day-to-day lives. It's been my sincere honor to be your host today at the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. Be blessed and be a blessing to those around you. Till next time, I leave you with a scripture from Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank <laughs> you.